0: for tuning in to season five of This Week in Drugs, the leading podcast on all things drugs, including policy, science, culture, and so much more.
1: This show is produced by Twid Media, whose members are all alumni of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, an awesome nonprofit working to end the war on drugs.
0: We also produce a weekly email newsletter and have some other exciting projects on the way. You can check them all out on our website, thisweekindrugs.org.
1: Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. And now it's
2: time for the weekly news and headlines, where Sam and I talk about some of the biggest stories in drugs and drug policy from the past week. But first, before we dive in, we want to thank our sponsor, which this week is Nobody. (laughs) But if you are a big fan of Twid and what we do, you can head on over to thisweekindrugs.com and click on the Contribute heading, and maybe next week the sponsor will be you. But Sam, do you want to get ready and uh, give us the first story here?
0: Sure thing. Uh, so for our first story this week, a number of companies that are basically all part of you know Big Tobacco, uh, so this includes Altria, Philip Morris, RJ Reynolds, and a few others, they're starting up a court-mandated ad campaign that they're kind of doing jointly about the harms of smoking and the guilt of the companies themselves and this is a really strange thing that i had honestly never seen done before Uh, it all started with a 1999 court case that was brought by the u.s justice department which then led to a 2006 landmark ruling that found the companies guilty of racketeering and lying about the dangers of smoking Uh, And then this case was then tied up for 11 years as the companies tried to weaken the advertising requirements. And just as like a quick legal definition, too, because the word racketeering is like familiar but vague. So the definition a, a racket is a planned or organized criminal act, often a repeated or continuous criminal operation. And so, like, it's usually used in the context of the mafia and mob kind of stuff. That's probably where people hear it the most. Uh, But this basically just means that big tobacco was organized crime by (laughs) lying about the harms of their own product and, like, coordinated in between them. Um, Hmm. So it's a really interesting one. Um, But, yeah, just, I mean, first thoughts about this. What does it say about regulation? Is this regulation working or is this a sign that... Sometimes regulation doesn't work, and we still have organized crime, even in a legal product.
2: That's, I guess, that's the question. I, I'm, I think it's an issue maybe with regulation, but I guess I'm kind of hung up on the the fact that the court case was from 1999. Yeah. So this has been going. You know, there are people who were born that year that could vote this year Mm -hmm. you know it's 18 years and so i think it points to yeah wow other like some problems with regulation but just problems with bureaucracy and Mm -hmm. all of these technicalities maybe in general
0: yeah because it did take seven years for the ruling which is a long time but it took even longer just for what i think was basically haggling about the sentencing and so it it did take yeah 11 years to figure out exactly what the requirements of these ads are and and to talk about what exactly these are going to say too because i think it is basically that the court wrote these ads and then they have to pay for them and put their name on them um so the ads they're going to be on television and in newspapers um so you can kind of see that this was a nineteen (laughs) ninety case because um they don't include any online advertising or anything like that but that aside um some of these and this is a direct quote of what the ads are going to say more people die every year from smoking than from murder aids suicide drugs car crashes and alcohol combined and that's one of them and then yeah. another one is nicotine is the addictive drug in tobacco and then there's a couple <laughs> other ones too so both of those are pretty interesting because i mean the first one is basically annoying to me because it frames mm-hmm. it, the smoking drugs and alcohol as three separate things when obviously <laughs> Tobacco and alcohol are both drugs. But the other one is just kind of a nice little explainer about drugs. So that's something.
2: Yeah, it seems uh, it's definitely less... There's less fear-mongering and less... um, They're trying not as hard to sensationalize things as maybe some of the other... um, The typical drug, like, this is your brain on drugs and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess that's encouraging.
0: Yeah. And I wonder if this... I mean, there's so many of these like state court cases now against opioid companies. I wonder if we're going to see something similar. I was going to say in a few years, but I guess in 20 to 25 (laughs) years, maybe we'll see similar ads from opioid companies.
2: Oh, maybe. (laughs) But I guess that's uh, talking about opioids and all that is a decent segue into my next story, um, which comes to us from Ohio, specifically Springfield, Ohio. Mm. And in August a resident of Springfield launched an online petition that would effectively negate the state's 911 good Samaritan policy um, mm. by at, the petition itself asks city le- city leaders like the council and the mayor to quote criminally charge individuals who suffer from drug overdoses and receive medical attention and wow. yeah so i think it um I mean, we talked about another story from Ohio where there was a city council member Mm -hmm. effectively saying the same thing. Um, And so we're seeing that this is maybe not an uncommon attitude, um, particularly because in the first five days that this petition was launched in in August, it garnered Mm -hmm. about 6,000 signatures. Mm -hmm. And now as of the 24th of November, it was at 9,800 signatures, and it only needs to hit 10,000 before it gets it goes to the Springfield mayor's desk.
0: Oh, wow. So this is, yeah, an official petition process sort of thing, not mm-hmm. just, you know, like a change.org petition or something yep. like that.
2: Well, it is wow. a change.org petition, but mm-hmm. it goes to the mayor's desk after okay. 10,000 signatures.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So this is... I mean, unfortunate and something that, as you said, is not too uncommon in Ohio and all over the country because we've got police officers who are basically saying we shouldn't carry Narcan or that we should start charging people. Some of them are like, oh, after the second overdose, Mm -hmm. which is like a slightly better, but still terrible position. Well, So it's uh,
2: one thing that's really interesting about this. I'm glad you brought that up is Ohio. The state Good Samaritan law is already fairly punitive because after someone has overdosed three times it no longer applies to them so there are already certain restrictions on the state good samaritan law that Mm -hmm. really make this um just uh well and also i guess one other thing one requirement of the good samaritan law is that with the after um overdosing and all of going through all of that within 30 days they must seek out treatment and provide proof of that in order order to to fully be immune from drug charges huh and so it's it's just uh yeah go ahead because i'm at a loss for words
0: i've just seen i mean i've I've, i'm more familiar with new england state policies but I, i feel like i've seen a lot of good samaritan laws but i i was not Familiar with Ohio's and I didn't know that it only worked for the first three times Mm -hmm. because I mean And I'm sure that was just a bargain that had to be struck to get a law passed or whatever But at the same like it goes so against the core philosophy of good Samaritan laws which are just about Wanting people to seek medical attention if they're overdosing and to get rid of barriers to do so And this is basically saying that like oh if you do this too many times then we actually don't want to remove those barriers (laughs) and we'd rather you just overdose and not receive medical attention, which is not the way that we should be addressing addiction and overdose.
2: No, it's very disturbing. And I think uh, the county prosecutor said he felt like the state law had good intentions, but just really didn't fully grasp the reality um, of the situation in Mm -hmm. certain communities. And he believes, and this seems to kind of frame the rest of this uh, argument, because he believes that the only way people are going to go to treatment is if it's court ordered and they're motivated motivated by that fear of more legal consequences. Mm-hmm. So I think this is something to watch. You know, we'll see if it if it actually does hit the ten thousand signatures. Um, the mayor said they're unsure about whether or not how overriding bypassing state law would go, but we will definitely uh, keep people updated.
0: Absolutely. And uh, for the next big story this week, it's a few weeks old, but I just came across it through a new article on a blog that I saw. And I did think it was worth talking about since we didn't uh, talk about it when it was uh, brand new. Uh, So this is that in New Jersey, about 20,000 people convicted of DUIs have been notified by prosecutors that their cases are under review because a police officer is under investigation for tampering with breathalyzer devices that collected evidence for their cases. Uh, So this officer is named uh, Sergeant Mark Dennis. He's a coordinator in the state police alcohol drug testing unit and is accused of skipping the calibration step when setting up the devices, which, if true, would have just basically, you know, made the breathalyzer results unreliable since they weren't calibrated properly so it's a legally required step this is something that he was required to do and though he's only specifically accused of doing it on three specific occasions that's what they have the evidence for prosecutors mm-hmm. suspect that you know it could have been part of a much larger problem um, a larger pattern if he did this all the time it's unclear to me right now whether it was negligence or malicious i think they're still trying to figure that out it's i don't know if skipping calibration makes them more sensitive and then you rack up more convictions or something or if he was just being lazy but either way um he was charged and indicted last year and the case is is still in progress
2: wow yeah i guess i appreciate uh, the note about being clear on exactly what skipping the calibration stuff does because first mm-hmm. to me, it, it it did just seem like negligence and kind of just, you know, I want to get this done as quickly as possible and I'm not going to do yeah. this one step. But if it, if like you said, it does make things more sensitive and more likely to, um, you know, make someone or make the device more likely to read um, at a higher level that mm-hmm. that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's one of those things. Uh, you know, we t- I feel like we've been talking about body cameras a lot, um, mm-hmm. and so something like dash cams, body cam, like is there, if there had been footage, would would that have made a difference? Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I don't know. There are a lot of interesting pieces here.
0: Yeah, and it does remind me so much of the crime lab cases in Massachusetts, the The big one being Annie Dukin, mm-hmm. um, who was, I mean, in addition, she was, I think, accused of consuming drugs while on the job, so stealing drugs, but also falsifying results. I think basically she was just like, oh, they're both a co- combination of laziness and saying, oh, you know, these people are probably guilty anyways. I'll just mark that it was positive or whatever. And that one, I mean, there are some big differences too because those were all To the best of my knowledge just drug possession charges which i think are inherently over overly Mm -hmm. punished so it was kind of good to have a ton of those thrown out but this is talking about dui cases and i mean if someone wasn't over the legal limit and then was you know falsely given a conviction obviously it's good for them to get off but there's probably a ton of people who are actually guilty that might get thrown out their convictions too and like Alcohol DUI is actually very dangerous and something where I want people to have a record for if they did it. And this is going to make it so people don't get justice.
2: Yeah, I think this is, it's really interesting that there were, you know, three specific incidents, um, but it will be mm-hmm. interesting to, as, as the case kind of plays out, see if it was see if it was part of a larger pattern, it, as it seems a lot of these things are. You know, we, we are creatures of habit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, But moving on, I guess, to my next story, Um, I'm not sure if we talked about this much. I know I posted about it on Facebook when it was uh, when it was first announced because I am still baffled. uh, But a Tennessee judge, Sam Benningfield from White County, Tennessee, has been reprimanded by the State Board of Judicial Conduct after months of public outcry and uh, lawsuits regarding a sterilization policy that he was pushing. Um, and it was actually outlined in a court order in May that this this specific judge would offer people who were um, headed to jail, if they voluntarily signed up for either a vasectomy or a birth control implant, depending on their gender and sex and all of that, uh, they could shave time off their sentence. Uh, mm-hmm. And so a lot of the public outcry, you know, came from the belief that this is essentially eugenics and that is inherently unconstitutional.
0: Hmm. Yeah, because this is such a, uh, I don't know. I, you know that's <laughs> something where it's uh, what is a cruel and unusual punishment. I think a lot of people would argue that that is. And I think, you know, that's up for debate, but the only time when at first hearing about people it be in order to get a vasectomy or something you'd think that it would be about like a crime of child abuse or something like that in which I, I think there's much more of a case for that being a permissible thing then or if you don't want that person having children but this is just anybody who's going to serve any sort of prison time and completely unrelated to their crime whatsoever basically just saying we don't want people who go to prison which is obviously also tied in with race and everything and with the eugenics that you're getting at. Um, But just saying, oh, we don't want those people having children ever is a pretty disgusting thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, the direct quote from the judge is, quote, I hope to encourage them to take personal responsibility and give them a chance when they do get out to not be burdened with children. This gives them a chance to get on their feet and make something of themselves and so you can just I mean it's it's loaded with stigma and the stereotypical beliefs and you know it's tying um as you mentioned like if some if this were explicitly for people accused of child abuse or things like that Mm -hmm. but it's not but the very clear implication here is that people who use drugs are more likely to maybe abuse their children or abandon their children or be worse parents um -hmm. I think there are a lot well, there are a lot of issues there. I'm not even going to say that that's an opinion. There, there yeah. just are.
0: <laughs> and like so many terrible comments, it's awful because like, on the one hand, it's recognizing like, hey, getting out of prison is really difficult and they're adding more challenges to that does make it a lot more less likely that you're going to be able to be successful. But then it like goes in the complete opposite direction and is essentially trying to take further rights away from people and assuming that everyone is going to be doing it totally irresponsibly and not owning up to any issues with the criminal justice system or anything. Exactly. And yeah, th- that is just a disgusting way to go about it. And it does seem like this is something that we should definitely be trying to quash as quickly as possible.
2: Yeah, I think one thing um, that I do want to highlight before you know we move on is that the when he was reprimanded by the board, They said one of the things they said was that he violated rules requiring judges to act act at all times in a manner that promotes public confidence, uh, which is slightly encouraging. But then, unfortunately, the letter did refer to substance addicted babies, and I do think it's important to point out that you know babies cannot be born addicted.
0: This episode is sponsored by No One. That's right. We don't have a sponsor this week, but we still produce this episode because we've been doing this since before we even accepted any sponsors. But it does really help us because we need money to help pay our bills, website hosting fees, and other things like that. So if you're interested in sponsoring, whether it's for your business, your nonprofit, your project, or just want to talk about something interesting to yourself for 30 seconds, just go to thisweekindrugs.org and click on the Sponsor Us tab, and you can learn some more. Again, that's thisweekindrugs.org. And now it's time for our quick hit headlines. The first is that the Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission has announced that it plans to file initial regulations by December 29th, just over a month away. Final regulations must be in place by March 15th, so the CCC is working hard to get the first draft out there, so there's time for public comment and revisions.
2: And next, in response to the United States renewed campaign of attacking opium factories in Afghanistan. Farmers are concerned the policy will harm impoverished farmers and locals more than the Taliban. As one farmer told Reuters, Farmers are not growing poppies for fun. If factories are closed and businesses are gone, then how will they provide food
1: for their families?
0: An Ohio man who was found guilty of drug distribution after selling fentanyl to a 17-year-old who fatally overdosed has been ordered to pay $9,000 to the family to cover the teen's funeral costs as part of his sentencing, which also includes over 16 years in prison.
2: Last Monday, the Seattle City Council approved a budget for 2018 that allocates $1.3 million for a supervised injection site in the city. We'll make sure to keep our listeners updated on the next moves in Seattle.
0: And now it's time for our weekly forecast. This coming Friday, December 1st, is World AIDS Day. According to WorldAIDSDay.org, it is an opportunity for people worldwide to unite in the fight against HIV, to show support for people living with HIV, and to commemorate those who have died from an AIDS-related illness. Founded in 1988, World AIDS Day was the first ever Global Health Day. So there's a lot of overlap between AIDS and drugs, as it can be spread, of course, by sharing needles, meaning it disproportionately impacts injection drug users and is an important part of harm reduction and policies like safe injection sites. Of course, advances in drug research have also turned HIV from a death sentence to a disease that can be managed, and there are now more preventive measures available, too, like PrEP. And some drug history, AIDS activists were a key part of the early medical marijuana movement and were the focus of Proposition 215, the 1996 ballot initiative campaign in California that was the first successful passage of a medical marijuana law. That's
2: fantastic. And this Thursday, on December 7th, the Oklahoma Watch will host a public forum on the marijuana question, where panelists will discuss the possibility of legalizing medical marijuana in the 2018 election. The event is free and audience questions are encouraged. But people who want to attend should register online, and we will make sure to.
0: And that's it for this week's episode of the Weekly News and Forecast. Thanks for listening in. And before we wrap up, just want to thank our sponsor this week, which is Nobody. So if you want to sponsor us next week, check out our website. And of course, we say it every week, but there's so much happening, it's very difficult to keep track of it all. So if you see a story that you think is really interesting, feel free to shoot us an email at thisweekindrugs at gmail.com. You can also message us on Facebook or Twitter. And we'd also really love it if you send us any events that you're hosting or things that are coming up to feature in the forecast. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.
1: again for listening to Season 5 of This Week in Drugs, hosted by Sam Tracy and me, Sarah Merrigan, and produced by Chris Harris.
0: If you liked this episode, please be sure to subscribe so that new episodes will be sent straight to you.
1: If you really liked this episode, you can help other people discover us by writing a quick review in iTunes or wherever you're listening.
0: And if you absolutely love this episode and want to support our work, you can make a one-time contribution using PayPal, become a monthly supporter on Patreon, or even sponsor an episode.
1: For links to those and to learn more about our other projects, head on over to thisweekindrugs.org.